Hello and welcome to the University of Bath Thought Train podcast. I'm your host, Sam Bradley. Today I'm joined by Department for Health Trial Manager, Dr. Janet Withell, who's working on the Retirement in Action Study. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Um, So first of all, um, for those who don't know, just explain what the Retirement in Action Study uh, actually is and what it does. Okay. Um, So we, uh, the REAP study as we uh, call it, is... Um, It's a large randomised control trial. Um, We have um, almost 800 people in the study, so it's a large study. And what we're looking at is assessing the effectiveness and cost-effectiveness of an intervention that's designed to um, engage older adults who are on the verge of frailty, so starting to find the activities of daily life a little bit more of a challenge than they used to be. And we are trying to engage them in becoming more active. Um, the idea um, is based upon a large study that um, was completed recently in the US called the LIFE trial. Um, so LIFE had some very positive results and they did show that it is possible that if you engage people in the right kind of physical activity, no matter what their age, it is possible to to pause or if not improve their levels of physical function. So we've taken the outcomes from life and what we're trying to do is we're looking at can they practically, pragmatically be implemented so that um, we can have a a community-wide programme that actually can be rolled out widely is effective and is cost effective and obviously that's really key because life did a great job it was basically a clinical trial they spent millions of dollars Mm -hmm. so they showed it worked but that's not a practical um, thing to implement on a large scale what we're trying to do is look at whether there's something in this that can be rolled out relatively cost-effectively and can generate benefit that makes it a really worthwhile investment. So that's that's the overall mm-hmm. idea of what we're trying to do. So it's, if I can sort of paraphrase that then, you, you're getting older adults uh, who are starting to struggle with doing day-to-day things and do you, you're looking to show them exercises, I guess, that will ease the... Yeah. The struggles of ageing, is that sort of my That's right, line? yeah. Um, the the program is uh, it's an intervention that is um, twice a week we ask people to come into um, a community centre or a leisure centre mm-hmm. to, uh, to go through a um, one-hour physical activity class. Okay. Um, all our sessions are followed by a social session. Sometimes there's a social and education element, but there's always... Um, cup of tea and a chat um, which is very key element I'm sure we'll come back to it but it's a very key element of the program that we're um, that we're rolling out um, so it's twice a week for three months and then once a week for another nine months um, the the intervention itself is these are not um, you know uh, this is not a bleeding edge technology <coughs> bunch of exercises they're mm-hmm. all quite well established um, uh, well-tested um, uh, physical activity exercises for older people. What we're looking at is, can we get people in? Can we keep them in? 
and can we do it in a in a way that means that they do um, stay with the program long term, change their lifestyles, and therefore actually reap the benefits over the long term. Yeah. So we're measuring their physical function. When we're measuring many many things, but our <laughs> primary outcome is physical function at two years. So the intervention itself is twelve months. But we are then going back to them again at two years to see whether their physical, how their physical function compares to how it was at the very beginning. So the intervention is 12 months. We want to go back at two years to see whether we've impacted their life long term, not just over the period of the intervention. It's a funny thing, isn't it? I think people who start to get older, they um, independence is a big is a, is a thing you you hear a lot about people want to retain their independence they're, they're less likely to want to you know seek help or whatever what are the challenges or what are they if there are the, the challenges of getting people to put their hand up and say yeah i'm struggling and it'd be nice to get out and become more active yeah that engagement is is always a challenge um we we find that in this uh older age group that we get a lot of things that perhaps aren't the traditional um, barriers to exercise that happen across the board in, 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 in adults as a, as a whole. A lot of people never engaged in exercise or sport or anything uh, during their earlier lives mm. so it's not something that they're in the habit of or even very uh, I suppose very aware of exactly what it entails and also you do get that um, mentality sometimes in that people have retired and now's the time they can put their feet up which is absolutely the worst thing yeah. um, to do and also when people do start to get a little bit frailer um, they find you do find that their friends and relatives instill caution in them they don't they're very worried that um, you know mom's going to go out and, and fall, fall yeah. or, or something like that and so People are perhaps not aware of the um, how the benefits very much outweigh any small risk. And the more exercise that mum does, the, higher, the less likely she is to fall. Um, but, you know, people have that caution, which it's is... which is mindset, isn't it? We seem to have... Maybe it's specifically in this country. I'd probably be better off answering that than I would. But we sort of wrap... Uh, older people in cotton wool, yeah. like you just said, yeah, don't do that. I'll come over and mow the lawn. Yes. I'll come yeah. over and do this. I'll come over and lift this. Yeah, yeah. Where in fact, I'll bring your shopping. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And when you retire, I guess that yeah, there is that mindset of oh, now I can relax. But you hear so often of older adults who have jobs wherever, and the minute they give it up, yeah, that's when their health starts to deteriorate because they don't really have a reason to get exactly. out and do. Exactly, it's that reason, isn't it? I think that's that's really really powerful. I've worked on other studies and and that idea of I've got nowhere to go, you know, yeah. I've got nothing to do, I've got nowhere to go. Um, and you know, that's the, that's part of the reason why that massive life change when people retire has such a big impact. Mm. Because no matter how you get to and from work and no matter what you do really, it's a lot more active than being on the sofa all day. Yeah. So um, it is, you know, trying to engage with that that kind of slowing down putting your feet up mechanism and kind of you know trying to change that and trying to make sure that that 
dip in activity doesn't occur because it is a spiral. Once that has happened, the less you do, the more you know, the more you lose function very slowly, I guess, mostly. Um, so people aren't necessarily <coughs> noticing and necessarily attributing that to the fact that they're being less active. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, the majority, no doubt, who believe that you know these things happen when you get older. Well. You just slow up. You just slow up. Well, maybe to an extent, but certainly not to the extent that most people will accept. If you get out there and, you know, use those muscles, just as is always the case in the rest of life, you strengthen them, you know, they become more responsive and more powerful and you find things easier um, than you did. Um, And there is no physiological reason why that, you know, that doesn't occur. Aging is not this um, absolutely um, unfightable uh, downward spiral. It is perfectly possible to to make an effort to to avoid um, some of the decline. How old are the older adults? What's the sort of age brackets that we're looking at for this study? Our criteria was over 65, but um, we use a a physical function test to screen people. Um, And... We find that most people in the uh, uh, you know mid sixties uh, score too highly on our physical function tests, so they don't mean... end up being included in the study. So right. when they first come to us um, saying, "I'd like to take part in React," um, we run through a telephone screening, and that's largely looking at really serious illnesses um, where it would be ill-advised to exercise. Mm-hmm. So we just do a very quick. Um, uh, overview of the telephone of their of their health and it you know there are very few illnesses where it really isn't a good idea to exercise but maybe having had a recent operation or a recent stroke or something like that um, so we do that and then the next thing we do is we get them into an assessment center so they come in and meet us and the first thing we do is um, a, a physical function test it it's a measure of their normal walking so we ask them to walk four meters we do three simple balance tests and ask them to do a chair rise so going from sitting to standing mm-hmm. um, without using their hands to push up from the chair so it's a it's a test that's specifically designed for older adults and um, maximum score is 12 so we are looking for people who score between four and nine okay so they have to be still walking still mobile to some extent but we're not looking for the people who go out and do a, a nice four-mile walk with the dog every weekend because yeah. they are just not really um, the target market for this. We are looking for people who are starting to struggle a bit more. So the people, the average age, 65, Sorry, yeah. they would have been, they would have maybe been born around, quick maths, 1950, I guess? Uh, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I was working that out as you were talking. Um, I think... Maybe like a generational thing, do you find that? Because back in the 50s, or say that those people were becoming teenagers in like the late 60s, there wasn't that focus that there is now on get out, get healthy, keep your heart healthy, keep yeah. this healthy, keep your brain ticking over, that sort of thing. Do you think that as, and I'm talking real long game here, but as the decades pass, do you think this sort of thing will become easier because my generation will become old, but we would have grown up? I guess, yes, with, with the different awareness. culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. no, I think it will change. Um, to, 
to what extent? I mean, if we had a population of 20 to 50-year-olds who were currently exercising for 30 minutes five times a week, as the government um, suggests, mm -hmm. then maybe by the time those people were over 65, we'd have no problem at all. But we're struggling to get yeah. children, adults, everybody. We're struggling to get them all to be as active as they should be. So I think you're right in that the awareness will be there, but whether we've actually yeah. cracked the <laughs> behaviour change that we need to do in order to make that happen, I'm not sure. Hearts and minds, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So sorry, to refer back to your earlier question, the age range that we've got, we've got relatively few people in their mid-60s. Our oldest participant is 98. So, um, and it, the, the, the breadth, breadth of abilities in that age range is really quite amazing. We, yeah. were, we did an assessment in Bristol not that long ago, and we had a lady come in who was 90. And as I said, we do this function test, and we're looking for people who scored between 4 and 9. Top marks is 12. She got 12. So we had to exclude a 90-year-old on the basis that she was way too fit for so um, that's you know that those are the examples that provide the inspiration. It's a win-win though, isn't it? Really, I guess. Yeah. You, so you don't get on the study, but they yeah, clearly exactly. have no need of such. I know. I've worked with other studies before, and when you have to exclude people, it's really it's it's not a nice you know uh, message to have to give them. Mm -hmm. But the ninety-nine percent of the people we exclude from React, I can say, well, there's good news and bad news. So the good news is you're so fit. The bad news is we can't include you in the study. <laughs> so you know it's uh, there are worse conversations to have to have with sure. people. Yeah, I'm sure. It's um it must be something that it can't be very much of a hard sell because I think the benefits not just to the people you're uh, you're helping during the study, not just the people you're getting fit. Yeah. I guess if these people get fitter, they stop going into hospital. They stop maybe claiming some sorts of benefits I guess off the top of my head it makes it cheaper doesn't it to have a yeah if your government makes it cheaper to have a fitter population absolutely and that's what we're funded by the NIHR so basically the Department of Health are giving us this investment to to look into the cost effectiveness of this and so amongst the many many things that we're measuring we're measuring people's usage of healthcare services and social services mm -hmm. And it's a difficult thing um, to, um, to, to be very precise about, but we are, we have health economists, health economists <laughs> from um, the University of Exeter who were supporting that side of the study. And obviously they're very experienced in pulling out this kind of data from, from, from what we're collecting. So we do hope to have a, a, you know, a, a pretty good understanding of the savings that are being as a result of, uh, of what people are doing. So how many people are part of this now? How many participants do you have? We currently have, we've finished recruitment now, and we have 777 people in the study. Yeah, um, so we have, obviously it's a, it's a randomised control trial, so we have um, half of those are in the control group, half in the intervention. So the intervention get the physical activity sessions, as I, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, the control group get a small number, three or four um, education, social sessions over the period of the two years of the, that they're involved with the study. But it's obviously, um, has no um, reference to physical activity. It's, it's based on healthy ageing, diet, mm -hmm. 
yeah. um, keeping warm in winter and those kind of activities, but obviously with the social aspect. Mm. Um, so, yeah, half the people are in one's the, have one side of the study and half in the other. But that, even though we only have, whatever that works out to be, 300 and however many in the intervention group, that's, um, that's we've got um, groups, run, we've got 27 groups running all together. So that's in Birmingham, Exeter, Bath and Bristol. So that's a lot of groups um, to actually be running and they all began in a kind of staggered fashion. So we've, we have follow-up measures with them running um, all the time. We measure people at baseline, six months, 12 months and then two years. I guess it'd be interesting to see as well, I guess with those baseline results, you said you were doing it all over the place, there's a number of different sites. People in one site might be naturally healthier, just as it goes. You know, I think yeah. people in industrial cities don't live as long as people who live in yeah. the country. I think that's a thing. Um, that yeah. must be interesting, sort of side data, I guess, to get. Oh, and we would, yeah, we definitely be, be measuring that because we can um, we can use postcodes to get a very, very, um, very detailed, detailed. Uh, view of, of the area that uh, people living, and we do ask them questions about their education level. Mm -hmm. Um, and another little factors that can give us an indication as to their socioeconomic uh, grouping. But you're right, I mean, we have um, a group running in um, an area of Bristol, um, which has the longest life expectancy in the city. And it is literally borders Southmead, which has the lowest life expectancy in the city. So there is, you know, and the difference is something like eight years. I mean, it is. It's a huge yeah. difference depending on um, those socioeconomic factors. So um, we've done our very best to have a really good variety uh, of people engaged in the study. So we will hopefully be able to make some, you know, quite interesting comparisons because we have, you know, groups running um, in in very much more deprived areas. So there will be good data there. The yeah, recruitment sure. is more difficult. In so in, in lower, in lower uh, yeah lower lower socioeconomic areas just because um, well I guess there's perhaps just a perhaps a less awareness and a perhaps a little bit more um, what do I mean not fear as such but a wariness of taking part in research because it's not something that a lot of people come across in a lot of areas and, mm. um, so it's always a, a more difficult recruitment we have worked very hard with local GPs to, to you know, pull in people from as wide a variety of backgrounds as possible. Retirement might not be as prevalent in those, in those areas as well, so people may, may still be, may yeah, still still be, be working, working or whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is quite possible. And, um, yeah, I, it's difficult. I mean, there's, there has been obviously a lot of research done in the area, and, and we're conscious of what we're doing here is we're looking at trying to say, is this a pragmatic program to roll out? But what we're doing is when we recruit people is saying, can you come and help us with our research? And that's a very different um, invitation to when this becomes um, a real world project where people are just being invited to come out and be more active, do themselves some good. Um, so you, we get we benefit, I guess, from the people doing a good thing you know, they think, yeah, I'll, I'll help out because, you know, I've, things have been okay for me and um, I'm going to give something back. 
Um, and then on the other hand, other people are quite wary of being involved in research because there are the odd you know, horror story that, that does the rounds. Um, obviously, it tends to be clinical trials of medicines and things, but you know, we do get some of the uh, perhaps slightly negative mm -hmm. uh, feedback from, from those sort of things occurring. Um, so, yeah, we have to be, How be aware there are differences. Our recruitment is not entirely, but almost all through GP practices. Okay. So we recruit GPs who then send letters to their patients on our behalf. Um, we give them the criteria of people that we're looking for, so obviously they can select people over a certain age, and they can exclude people um, who've got really serious things, they're aware of that have very serious illnesses that yeah. we would exclude. Um, but largely we try to be as inclusive as possible, so mm -hmm. they write to most of their patients who meet the criteria. Yeah, well, that's got to be really, I mean, really useful for a number of reasons. Firstly, people trust their GPs, yeah. by and large, people know that they're GPs, probably won't try and you know, swindle and it eliminates yes. a lot yeah. of that, I guess. It does, because um, it's really difficult to recruit in other ways. In, in, in a previous study, we... Um, we uh, didn't go through GPs, but we did write to people. So we, we bought a commercial mailing list where you can just specify, can you give me all the people over 65 in this postcode? Mm -hmm. um, and we did that and we wrote, we wrote to them. But people are justifiably these days a little bit suspicious and they're wary of things that come to, through the post to them. And yeah. because... They're told to be wary, quite rightly, because there's a lot of... Um, goes back to what we were saying before, because we wrap, we seem to wrap our, our older adults in cotton wool yeah. from a certain age onwards. It's, yeah. don't answer the phone, yeah. Yeah. someone asked, don't yeah. go and give them this. your details, blah, 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 which is, you know, I'm sure has, has a, a lot of justification in it, but it makes uh, recruitment for us uh, difficult. And like you say, if you can go through someone's GP, you do take away that fear they know that they, like you said, their GP would not be sending out something Goodness that's going to what, be, yeah, yeah that's not, not being well checked out. What do you, um, do you find, I mean, you, you may not measure it, and that's, I just thought I'd ask at the top of my head, about these education sessions that come with the fitness sessions, what sort of things do you, do you work with? Is it education about exercise, or is it just bringing you up to speed on the latest, you know, developments, here's how you can do this, or yeah. here's how you use a computer, is it that sort of thing? No, we try, their um, education may be slightly overselling it, what, what our main aim with those sessions is, is to um, get people to change their lifestyle, so that they're not long-term reliant on us and our intervention. Coming in and asking yeah. them, but you want to get an out yeah, and go for they, a walk on the Exactly, own. exactly. So a lot of those sessions are about feedback on how they're feeling, what do they think, you know, if they've got any issues, anything that they want to discuss. Um, so the practicalities of, you know, aches and pains, because mm -hmm. people immediately think that having an aching muscle is a bad thing, but you have to explain that this is what happens when you haven't used it for a while yeah. and, and so on. Um, and we do include things like um, specific things on sedentary behaviour. We're particularly um, keen on people establishing little habits so that they can um, they don't sit down in front of the TV for four or five hours at a stretch. Because 
Um, we've always known, we've always assumed that sitting around too much isn't good for you. Mm. But we'd kind of imagined that it was part of the spectrum of being physically active. So the bad thing about sitting around was it meant that you weren't being active. Whereas now there's a lot of strong evidence that it's not just on that spectrum. It is independently associated with negative health outcomes. Because, really? yeah, because just uh, for you know, various reasons, it's not that you're not being active, it's that sitting is, is bad. Um, How so? What's what's the negative? Uh, other than not being yeah. in the gym or whatever. Well, it's not a hundred percent nailed down, to be honest yet. But there's, you know, the the fact that you're sitting there, your blood will tend to be pooling in in your lower limbs and so on. Um, thrombosis, right? Yeah, yeah, thrombosis, that yeah. sort of thing. So um, it's it's what we need people to do is to create little habits, and these are the things we put in the education sessions. You know. When the adverts come on, get up and walk around the room, yeah. you know. Um, every time the programme changes, get up and go and make a cup of tea or walk up and down the stairs mm-hmm. or better still go around the block. But, you know, if, if nothing else, just move around within your home environment so that you don't have these extended periods. And every time someone gets up, you know, that's another bit of strengthening their quad muscles mm-hmm. so that they... Um, they become more able to get up uh, without confidence as well. I it's imagine. a big confidence thing, and it is one of those things that you know, if, not everybody, but you know, people do start to struggle getting out of a nice, comfy sofa and getting out of a, you know, big armchair. I struggle to do that. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> everybody will give themselves a little push with their arms. So, mm-hmm. um, people put off doing it because they know it's going to be quite hard work. So they settle down in front of the TV. They have everything to hand, you know, the remote, the cup of tea, uh, the biscuits and whatever, so that they don't have to keep getting up and down. But that's that's not what we want them to do. We want to keep up getting up and down um, just to uh, keep things moving and to, you know, as a little strengthening exercise for all those good muscles. So, yeah, we, the, we, we educate people about about that and about why it's um, a good thing that they could should keep moving. We give people pedometers and we um, give them little charts so that they can record how many steps they're doing mm-hmm. and then give them little targets so that they can attempt to increase the number of steps that they're doing. Um, we do um, some uh, we do some sessions about um, nutrition just to give not trying to be overly technical, but just trying to encourage people to eat a really good balanced diet because that's something that perhaps people stop focusing on um, when they're only maybe cooking for one. Or and that's if they ever started focusing on it to begin with. Yes. Yeah. To, to go back to what we were saying earlier, it was not something that the vast majority of that generation were brought up on. You know, you need you know nuts are good and. Yeah. Are good and Although there's there's balance into that in that in that generation they tended to eat you know meat and two veg and not snack on high that fat high true, sugary yeah. foods that is true. all the time you know um, so you know there are pros and cons to the way that diet has changed but yeah the, that that <coughs> sort of thing is always worth um, bringing up with people I mean we try really hard not to be preachy in these sessions they're all very interactive we give our session leaders a kind of grid of guidance and as a a conversation guide 
rather than a don't you know stand up at a flip chart and impose these bits of information on people. So it's just you know getting that bigger picture of and positively reinforcing the whole um, active living, healthy living, and how little things can make a difference because. Once, once life's getting a little bit challenging, it seems like a massive thing to try and uh, roll back the years. Um, but we get, we don't have um, any results, obviously, but we get a lot of anecdotal feedback at our assessment sessions with people saying, oh, you know, we put them through the same function test. Yeah. Oh, you know, I couldn't do this six months ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So, it's almost um, better in a way, though. Not a tick in a box yes. or a number. It's someone yeah. coming saying, "Thank you. This yeah. is this is great." Yeah. Do you um? You said they were you get them for uh, two sessions a week for the first uh, three, months. three months. In in between those sessions, so they come to you for two at least twice a week. Yeah. Are they encouraged to to maybe get up and do more exercise around yeah. those sessions, or would you try and keep it to those two so you can measure no, data? No, no, we we that is big part of the program is because we've got this um, two-year measurement session uh -huh. so um, the whole the first couple of months because we're quite often working with people who've really not exercised that much before and a big part of what we're doing is building confidence so that they become they come to feel capable in themselves and their ability to do a few so we don't go over the top in the first month or so. We just want them to, you know, quietly get used to being a bit more active yeah. and start to feel that they're actually making a difference. And then after that, we really focus on, so building up your walking outside of the sessions and also on what else are you doing? Because we have this point at which they drop from two weeks to one week. And we'd really like them to replace that other session by doing something else whether it's a guided walk or a, another class or just getting out and deliberately, you know, going for a walk on that one day when they, they would have otherwise have been going to a session. So the more we can build the confidence that they feel capable of doing that and, um, and actively encourage them, talk about what it is people are doing. So we have groups of up to 15. So quite often in these sessions they can share um, oh, I went to this, or I was thinking about trying that. And we found that people go to things together, not maybe the whole group, but you know, you get a few people who fancy trying something out, and they do. Um, and that's, that's you know, a relatively common pattern, and that's something we really encourage, because we want them to have made this long-term change and to get engaged in something that is going to be long-term and not just like our intervention. Yeah. Uh, we want it to be a springboard, you know, this is not going to last forever, this is something that builds your confidence, gets you up to a level where you feel happy to go and get involved in all the, you know, many, many opportunities um, to be more active that are available. Yeah, the, the social aspect must be a big thing as well, you said there's a lot of the education sessions are education sessions, but there's always yeah. tea on, there's always people chatting, I think the... Uh, sort of widely accepted now isn't it that loneliness is also a, yeah. a bit of a killer yeah. not having anybody to talk to and only having the television you know it is absolutely it is absolutely and there's there's strong evidence for that now and 
And also, from our perspective, it's great to be able to help tackle that. But the other thing is, the more group cohesion we get going, the more people are committed to coming, you know, because they think they don't, they get to a point where they don't even think about the exercise, they're coming because yeah. all their mates are going to be there, it's going to be a really pleasant afternoon out, they can have a chat afterwards and so on. And that's that's great because that is really associated with long term adherence to these that kind of activities. Yeah. Um, it's you know, unless you enjoy something, unless there's a social aspect, why would you keep going? You know, it's I guess it's yeah. what ties you in really, particularly we find in in that kind of older age group, you know, that maybe as a younger person with a very busy life, you go to an exercise class and you're in, you're out and mm. you've done what you went there to do. It's a totally different reason yeah. though, isn't it? I Personally, I don't go to the gym to my friends. I go there, like you just yeah. said, get in. And I can say to myself that night, okay, I've done an hour yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I guess for, for an older adult, yeah. it's a much, the, the thinking is far more different, as yeah. you said, with that social um, element. Have you in want, fact, in yeah. fact, just before I, I came down here to talk to you, I um, one of our session leaders, um, we've got three or four groups in Bath, well, more than that, actually, um, who are run by GLL, who are the the organisation who run all the sports centres in Bath, and um, they, they're, so they're running three or four groups, that's quite a lot of people, so um, one of their groups decided to organise a Christmas lunch, um, and they invited all the other groups, Amazing. and we just got photographs of, there were 50 <coughs> people of this lunch, and that, you know, that just takes it a step beyond, and those people now see each other, you know, outside yeah. of the group, and you create, um, you know, a different community, isn't community. it? Community, yes, yeah. yeah. And um, even if, um, even if they're not going out together to go to an exercise class, the mere fact they're going out of the house to mm -hmm. see other people is um, is meaning that they're more active than they would be if they were sitting on the sofa. Absolutely. I was going to ask. Um, I don't know. Maybe you've seen it, the TV show, the uh, the old people's home for four year olds. There, uh, the um, St Monica Trust, uh -huh. which is um, where that old people's home is, is in fact a site for one of our React sessions. There we so, go. <laughs> <laughs> so, in fact, there's a couple of our participants who I who I saw on no the way. TV program. Yeah, um, trying. You know, life changing. Those mm -hmm. kind of. Things yeah, really moving. Yeah, I watched, oh, um, fantastic. Watched some repeats the other day in preparation for this podcast, and um, yeah, it got me. Yeah, right there. Sure. I know. It seems it's to work, so doesn't it? Heartwarming. Um, in fact, that that is a Coat Lane, which is one of the St Monica Trust um, uh, sites, and they are seriously thinking that they will um, provide facilities for a nursery to open, children's nursery to open on site, so that they can have that sort of interaction. It's amazing, isn't it? The, the, the sense of community and yeah. the good things it does or can do for a person's mental yeah. health. And, and vice versa. I mean, the children just learn that older people aren't, you know, a different race. You know, they're, a just, people they're just people. That know more. That, yeah, <laughs> They've exactly. been around longer. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's a, a real win-win. It's a peculiar thing, isn't it? How we seem to even without maybe thinking about it, divide up age groups. Like yes. Young people are very much encouraged to stay being young people and talk only to young people. Same with adults, same with older adults. Mm. I think, yeah, that experiment where they put the kids in with the old people, it seems to have yielded fantastic yeah. results. Oh, I'd yeah. love to see them roll it out yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
I guess there's there are issues about organising it and everything, but you know it seemed to it seemed to be so worthwhile on both sides. Yeah, that, you know, sure. it, it should be thing. And I can see, for instance, that St Monica site. It's a fantastic um, area with um, it's got everything from sheltered accommodation right through to uh, nursing homes. So, you know, it's a fantastic facility for older people, but there are only older people there. It's, mm. it's really um, not in the mainstream of life, um, which I'm sure has got its pros and cons. There's no noisy neighbours and so on and so forth. But there's a, there's a happy medium, isn't there? And, it would, and I think it, it really, really benefits people to have the other age groups come in and get engaged. Do you feel like... Um sort of popular mentality is coming round to this way of thinking now in that we need to build communities however we can, whether it's putting young people with older people, obviously very young people with older adults, and that's just good for us. I think a lot of people now are sort of starting to get that. Are you, are you yeah. feeling that, that it's better to keep people mentally engaged and that's yeah. therefore better for the mental health? Have you seen that? From the, the professional side, or is that just anecdotal? Well, I suppose it is really. I mean, there may well be literature on it. There's there's literature on most of these subjects, isn't there? But it's not something that I've looked into in, in, in fantastic detail. But as you say, anecdotally, it's what you see. I mean, even just coming to our assessment centres, we've got our researchers of a, a wide age range, you know, and so many times I've had people come up to me at the end of an assessment and say, what a lovely bunch of people you've got working for you, you know, and they've just enjoyed the fact that they've spent two hours talking about themselves and generally engaging with, um, you know, with a wide range of people. They just, and that's just on our measurement days, you know, it's <laughs> not even when they're actually doing something interesting like, um, you know, exercising or whatever. So, yeah. Is it too early to say, obviously, beginning of 2018 now? Is it too early to say how well it's working, or do you have an idea of where um, it's going? It's, or can you not say that's uh, totally fine as well? It would <laughs> definitely be wrong of me to say. And mm. to be honest, I, I really don't know. We've um, our final. So as I say, we've got these twenty-seven groups running. The first ones have now completed their twelve months, so mm. we're past that point with uh, uh, the pilot groups. But we also have groups that only began in October 17. Mm -hmm. So um, they're in the very early stages. So we don't have that data. And also we can't access it until we get to the very end. And because we have this two-year measurement point, it's not, we're not even really going to have full access to all our data until the end of 2019. So it will be a while before we report um, mm -hmm. We can look at the baseline data, look at the profile of the people that we've got engaged in the study, mm -hmm. but we can't look at the... Um, yeah, of course. The, and the thing is, uh, you know, when you're at assessment sessions, so we always have a blinded researcher at the assessments who has no awareness of which group people are in, okay. so whether they're intervention or control. So that doesn't bias the, um, the measurement, yeah. uh, particularly of our main outcome, which is the function test. Um, so we always have someone who who shouldn't be aware, but I get. But the anecdotes we hear, you have to bear in mind. We hear from the 
people who are having a very positive experience. Of course. Um, yeah. So it's quite it's very easy to come away with a sense that oh, it's it's going really really well. Mm -hmm. you know, everybody loves it. And I suppose we've had. Well, I'm not sure we have really, but I, I suppose you might hear from people who hated it if they thought it was all going horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. Not not actually, to be honest, that we have, but but there's a whole range of people in the middle that we don't hear from. Yeah. So you have to be a bit careful of just taking these um, these rather glowing endorsements yeah. as being results. <laughs> they're not. They're just people who are. For whom it suits, who it suits really well, yeah. um, who are being kind enough to tell us. Mm -hmm. We do. I mean, we do have fantastic stories. There was one lady which kind of made me slightly concerned, in that um, she wrote me a lovely email saying that she'd been coming to the sessions and blah blah blah, and and when she'd arrived, she had been walking with a stick, and now she was back on her bike. I did slightly <laughs> worry. <laughs> That's amazing. But, but it was amazing. She actually had did a little interview with the Bath Chronicle um, and mm -hmm. told that story. Um, so yeah, I mean, there have been some really genuinely Fantastic. big changes. <laughs> what was her name? What was the lady's yeah. name? Uh, shout out. We can't say. No, no, well, I can't, sorry, I can't yeah. remember actually. But it would unblind someone if I say that. Of course, <laughs> this is why you're in charge. Yes, yeah. Um, Dr. Janet Withall, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really great having you. And we'll hopefully have you on at the end of next year. We can talk about the results oh, as and yes, when they come yeah, out. Yeah, no, that would be great. This has been the University of Bath Thought Train podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Like, listen, share and subscribe. Thank you.